Well, hey, Liverpool One Church, it is so great to have you with us today. How's everyone doing? Okay? Bank holiday weekend, right? There surely is a reason to be happy, if for nothing else. Most of you are off work tomorrow, which is pretty awesome in my eyes. Hey, we're actually starting a brand new series today, and it's simply called Living on Amber. Now, I know that for most of you, you would recognize our traffic light system across the UK, and most of you would be really well aware of what the red means, stop, right? And everybody would be aware of what the green means, go, right? But actually, when it comes to understanding exactly what the orange means, this one becomes a little bit ambiguous because it's almost open for discussion. What's interesting is the highway code doesn't say that it's open for discussion, but the way that we see it, especially guys, we think that the orange one, the amber, is kind of the questionable light. Because if you're transitioning from green to red and it comes on amber, the highway code would tell you that it means stop or prepare to stop. But when it's transitioning from red to green, we think it means get ready to go. It doesn't at all. It means prepare to stop until the green actually illuminates. But what's funny is most of the guys think that when we're transitioning from the green to the red, if the amber comes on, it doesn't mean prepare to stop at all. Most of the guys think, actually, now's the time. Put it in third, foot down, and get through before the red comes on, right? Because that's just how we see it. But you know, I do think that the amber light does signify something in a traffic signal, which also would mean a lot for each and every one of us in our daily lives too. What the amber light actually means is prepare for change. The amber light kind of means you're going to have to get ready because you're in between the green and the red. And so it is often the case in our life, we change and transition from one season to another, from one stage to another. And often so much of our life is taken up and spent in these transitioning seasons when we're preparing from where we are now to where we're going next. And we all know what this is like because it affects us all in different ways. Now, chances are every single one of us has got something that's on the horizon. Chances are, and it's going to be different for us all, but we've all got something that's about to change, that's ahead of us, that's in our future, that's in front of us. But chances are also that we're not that great at preparing for that change and preparing for that transition. I mean, it's different for us all, right? I mean, some of you are in a season of life right now where for you, you're kind of like you're about to have another baby and it's just like so exciting and you get to go again and this is just going to be another new life, another new addition to the family and you're so excited now for where you're heading next. For some of you, it's all about trying to make preparation for having your first baby. And this is just like, you know, so exciting on one hand, but nerve wracking on the other. And it just feels like, wow, this is going to be incredible. But at the same time, it's a little bit stressy. And again, change, we try and prepare for it. Transition, we try and get ready for it. But it affects us all in different ways, right? I mean, maybe you're 
transition or period of change is moving from one job to another job. I mean, maybe for you, it's about you're just about to go through an undergraduate program. Maybe you've just finished at university and now you're moving from like this lifestyle that you've had where you've remained in education for most of your life and now you're going to join the big boys and girls and you're going to get a real J-O-B and it's going to pay you money and it's like, woo, this is just going to be awesome. For some of you, You're preparing to get married and it's kind of like, wow, how exciting. You're in a period of change and transition. For others, maybe you're moving house. Maybe you're buying a new car. Maybe you're buying your first house or even your first car. Maybe you're transitioning between no longer having to ride public transport your entire life and now you're going to drive and pass your test. We all know what it's like to go through periods and times and seasons of transition. But we're not always great at preparing for them, and yet it affects us all. Now, I hope that every single one of you has got something coming on the horizon that maybe you're kind of excited about, just something good that's ahead of you that you're really enthusiastic about, that you maybe look at the season of life that you're in now, and there's something that you see that's ahead of you or in front of you that represents where you're going next. And I hope that in the main that everybody's got something great that you're heading towards. But there's one thing I know about times and seasons of change and transition, and that's that change is stressful. I mean, it can create so much tension. It's perhaps a topic that I can speak into a little bit, especially just with regards to my involvement of leading the church here at Liverpool One, because I've been involved in so many weddings. And what's so fascinating about weddings is if you ever have a conversation with the mother of the bride, like the night before or two or three nights before the big day, on one hand, they are so excited about where they are now, but more importantly, where their daughter is heading to next. I mean, it's just brilliant, right? They're about to be rewarded with this new son-in-law, this new addition into the family, and it's exciting. It's just so like amazing that you get to see your daughter now flee the nest and go and do her own thing. And on one hand, they're so enthusiastic about what's happening next, but then on the other hand, they are so stressed. Like seriously, like, is the thing gonna be right? Is the service gonna be okay? I mean, is the dress here and does everything fit? And what's the venue gonna be like for the wedding breakfast? I mean, on one hand, it's just like riddled with so much tension. And we know what that's like for us all because change brings about stress and tension. You know, it's the same that maybe if you're a parent, right? I mean, maybe you're at a stage in life where your children are about to go to school. And this maybe affects you mums more than it does the dads. But when you're sending your children to school, on one hand, it's like so exciting. It's like, wow, can you believe this? I mean, they're going to get educated. They're going to come home and hopefully be able to read and write. And they're going to make new friends. And it's all exciting. But then on the other hand, it's kind of like, but but what if they don't know how to get into their lunchbox? Are they going to starve whilst they're at school? I mean, what if they don't make friends? I mean, what if our kid is the lonely, no friend kid in school? I mean, what if he or she, little Jimmy, little Jessica gets bullied? Or worse still, what if he is the bully? And it's kind of like, on one hand, it's all exciting, but on the other hand, it's just so stressy. You know, I remember with our youngest son, it was kind of like when we took him to primary school on his very first day, there was a part of me that was just like, man, this is amazing, because like, 
I feel like I'm going to get my life back now. Between nine and three, you know, and at the time I was working shifts and it was like, wow, I won't know what to do with myself. And Emma was so excited as well. And she was kind of like, wow, this is brilliant. And he's at the school that we really wanted him to go to. And we're really excited. I'm sure he's going to meet some great friends and great people. But then literally on his first day and he walked in, he just stood there in his big coat and his lunchbox and his bag in the middle of the playground. And then Emma just looks and she starts to cry and she goes, I forgot to tell him what to do in the playground. And he just stood there as everybody else just kind of ran around and, pr- and played. I kind of walked away laughing. I thought it's kind of funny. And Emma was like heartbroken. This was like the most stressful season in her life, watching her baby go to school. You see, the reality is, is that change and transition, it affects us all and it causes us stress and it causes us tension and it causes us anxiety. So I want to ask this question. Are there really things that we can do now that will help us prepare for what is next? Like, are there really things that we can do in the amber light seasons of our life that will help us get ready for what's coming next? Are there really practical things that we can do that can help alleviate some of the stress, some of the worry, some of the tension, and some of the concern? So that's the kind of topic of conversation that we're going to be exploring. But here's the thing. You've got to know these two things. Like, here's the disclaimer right now. The first thing you've got to know about change or transition when you're moving from where you are now to where you're going to go next. The first thing that you've got to know, and it's the same for all of us, is this. Regardless of whatever is next for you, or whatever you're getting ready for, you are going to be there. And that's kind of awesome, but it's also kind of a problem. Because so many of us, what we do is we kind of say in the amber-like seasons of our life, like, when I get to where I'm going next, like, I'll be better then. Like, it will be better for me then. And we make all these statements like, as soon as I move out of where I am now and get into what's next, and when I get into what's ahead of me, like, I'll just be better at life. I'll just be a better person. Like, I'll handle my money responsibly and so much better as soon as I move into the new job or get a promotion. Or as soon as I move and I earn more money, then I'm going to be better at managing my finances. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm not going to borrow. I'm no longer going to rack up the credit cards and we make all of these assumptions and statements because what we think is when we move from where we are now to where we are next that that's going to be we're going to be better at that somehow but it's not the case at all we say it in this way when I finish uni and when I start a job well then I'll start to be more responsible then I'll get up on time then I'm going to get up suited and booted and look enthusiastic about life when I finish uni it's going to be like this but it's not always the case. We make statements like, hey, when I get the promotion, I'm gonna be better. Hey, when I get married, I'm gonna be a better guy. When I'm in that relationship, I'm gonna stop all of those childlike addictions that I've got going on in my life. But the problem is, you won't. And the reason why you won't is because the person that's in your now that you're taking into wherever you're going next is the same person and it's you. You are the problem, I'm the bearer of bad news, right? I get that. Some of you want to punch me right now. But hey, I promise you, it does get better. And the reason why it's a problem is because as soon as you make that transition from where you are now to where you're going next, you carry into whatever is next 
your same ethics, your same morals, your same strengths, and all the same weaknesses. Like, you will be in your next right alongside you. But the second thing that you've got to know about change and times of transition is this, that there is no link, no link at all, between knowing what's next and being prepared for what's next. There's no link. And I think that this can be um, brought home to us when we understand that every single weekend, examples of this happen all around the world. We kind of bring two families together, we tell everybody to get suited and booted, we tell all the ladies to buy a fine hat, and we bring these people together and we have these ceremonies called weddings and two people who are truly, madly, deeply in love with each other, they walk down the aisle and they say lovingly into each other's eyes, I do. But there is such a difference between saying I do and saying I can. I mean, there are totally different things. You can know that you're getting married. You can know that the wedding is around the corner. You can know that you're going to partner your life with someone else. But let me tell you, knowing isn't what's most helpful. You think that because you know you're getting married that now all of a sudden you'll understand what it'll take in your next season of life. Truth is, I don't even know how many years I've been married, but it's a long time. And I'm still figuring this out right now. Like, honestly, I'm like, seriously, I am learning this thing. And yet when you walk down the aisle, you think, because I know I'm getting married, it's kind of like, oh, I know all about this. But there is no link between knowing what's coming next and being prepared for it. But Way better than knowing about what's coming next is preparing for what's next. Like no matter who you are, even if you're in church today with us, and maybe you're thinking to yourself right now, look, I'm not even a church person. I mean, are you even going to talk about the church type of things? Yeah, we're going to get there in a moment. But I want you to know too, like no matter where you are on your journey of faith, the fact that you're here today is amazing. And at Liverpool One Church, on behalf of Emma and I and all our staff and all of our team, we want to say that you're so, so welcome. We're really glad that you're here. We absolutely are. But I want you to know that this stuff can kind of work for your life too. If you're just willing to to take some small, significant steps on your journey of faith. This stuff will work for us all. Because in a moment, we're going to go and we're going to have a look at a passage of Scripture, which I just think is incredible, especially because of what the actual Scripture says, but more so when you understand who the guy was that wrote the Scripture that we're going to use as the bedrock for this teaching. Because the guy who we're going to go to in a moment, his name was James, and he wrote this book in the New Testament. But what's interesting about James is, check this, he was the brother of Jesus. Now, uh, that would just freak me out because I asked this question, what would it take to convince you that your brother was the one and only son of the one and only God. You know, I could just imagine like one day if I was to turn up at one of my two brothers' house and just kind of go, hey guys, surprise, have I told you lately that I am the one and only son of the one and only God? They would be like, you can shut the front door on your way out. It would just be like, I'm not having it. I do not buy it at all. Well, I think it must have been that difficult for James as well, he was the brother of Jesus, and yet he acknowledged Jesus as his Lord. It was like, yeah, Jesus, I understand that even though I've grown up with you, that you really are the one and only son of the one and only 
living God. So I think anything that James has got to say on this subject of change and transition, I am all ears and hopefully you are too. In a moment, let me kind of give you the good news first because James talks about ways in which we can practically prepare for these amber-like seasons when it feels like you're living in a time when you're preparing now for what's next. But the good news is, is that James finishes up at the end of this short passage of Scripture and he basically describes it like this. He says, guys, look, if you do these things, and we're going to look at what those thing, these things are in a moment, but if you do these things, then you will be blessed. And he uses this word. He says, like, you will be blessed. It's maybe not a common word for those who aren't in church circles, but if I was to break it down, he kind of is saying this, if you do these things, then you're going to experience way more success as you move from where you are now to where you're going next. If you do these things, you'll live a happier life. If you do these things, you will live a life that has less stress, less tension, and less pain, and less heartache. And even though you are going to be with you right alongside you in your next season. In the same way that you are in your now season, there are things that you can do that will help you avoid the pain and the tension and the stress and the difficulty of transition. So let's jump in and go to James 1. We're going to take a look at what James, Jesus' brother, has to say about how we can end up living life blessed as we prepare for the transition of what is ahead of us and what is next. James 1 verse 22 says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. He's kind of making a statement. And he's making this statement to a bunch of early people, early followers of Christ, that they don't even have a physical Bible like you and I have today. So it's not even like they can have a physical scriptural Bible that they can go through and highlight and underline. It, they certainly didn't have podcasts or the Bible app that could read them Bible scriptures to them. But he was making this statement and he was like, look guys, whatever you do, do not merely listen to the word. Meaning, do not merely Listen to the words and teachings of God, the teachings of Christ. Like if you just do that, you are kidding yourself. Because the context of their life was that they would meet in different people's homes and they would share food and they would do dinner together and they would talk and they would argue and they would discuss about all the facets of not only the Old Testament but the life of Christ before there was even a physical Bible. So they would be used to hearing the word of God. They would be used to listening to teachers teach on matters relating to faith. And what James says is, hey, listen, whatever you do, when you're in your small group, don't just listen to the word of God, because if you do that, you're kidding yourself. But what's interesting, and let me just kind of take a sidetrack just for a moment. What's interesting is what we find these early believers doing 
is exactly the same thing that we're trying to do here at Liverpool One Church. You know, for those of you that think that maybe we run life groups all across Merseyside just as some kind of social gathering, which in part I hope that they are for you, but whatever you do, don't think that being part of a life group is not something significant for you in your faith journey in life, because it really is. If you want to know the best way to see effective change in your life for the good, for the positive, it is without doubt being part of a life group, being involved in a community full of brothers and sisters who will be your friends and like family, no matter what journey of life you are currently on. Being in a life group is like the best thing for you. And this is how these early believers, they all started out. They might not have called it a life group, but it was the same thing. But James makes this statement, and I think he'd make the same thing to us. He's like, guys, whatever you do, don't just think that because you hear the word in your life group, in your small group, that it's going to make one ounce of difference in your life. For us, he might have said it differently because now we have Bible apps and now we have physical Bibles. Now maybe he would say, whatever you do, don't think that just because you read some scripture that it's going to make any ounce of difference in your life at all. Like, don't do that. If you're going to do that, you're kidding yourself. Don't, whatever you do, think that because you were in the room, that being in the room equals you being better at anything or you following God more closely than you are right now because it does not. Just because you went to church two weeks in a row, just because you heard the preacher preach a sermon, just because you went to life group once and maybe you heard some scripture, just because you read the book and you even highlighted the paragraph, just because you did all of that, whatever you do, don't think that by hearing or reading the word of God alone is going to make any difference to your life especially when you're trying to move from where you are now to where you're heading next. It's not going to make any difference at all. Jesus, uh, John, um, Jesus, John, another J, James was saying that, look, by hearing and listening to the word alone, it doesn't get the job done. Like, it'll make you feel better, but it won't actually move you from where you are now to where you want to be next. It won't actually help. So the question that we've got to ask is this. According to James, what is it that makes the difference then? I'm glad you asked because James goes on to tell us. He says this, do what it says. It's kind of like, no, no, don't just be a hearer of the word. Don't just be a reader of the word. Don't just be a podcaster of the Bible. Don't just listen to messages when you go to sleep and think that that is making one ounce of difference in your life. Don't, whatever you do, drive to work every day and have your worship music on. And because of that act, it makes you think that you're further on than you actually are. James is going, no, no, you've got to understand, listening and reading is not what counts. It's doing and acting on what you have heard and acting on what you have read that makes all the difference. He was saying, look, just knowing stuff doesn't help you, it doesn't help anybody. Knowing stuff does not help you transition or change in from where you are now into what's coming up next. It's doing and applying what you know that really counts and really helps. He goes on and he says this, James 1, 23. Anyone who listens to the word 
but does not do what it says. And let me just pause there for a moment. I just love what James is doing here because now he's kind of bringing this home for us and he's given us an example. So he's helping us find ourselves in the scripture. He's kind of saying, guys, look, if you are the guy or the girl that is wired that way to kind of hear the word, read the word, but if you don't do what it says, he gives us a picture of exactly how it will end up in our life because it'll be exactly the same as the illustration that I think is probably like the best illustration in the entire New Testament. It took me a while to try and figure the whole thing out. Like, James, what is it that you're actually trying to say through this scripture? But when you see it, I think it's just brilliant. So he says this, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone, maybe someone of us, who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. James was making this observation. He was saying that when you look in the mirror, it reminds you that you've got to do something with you. You know, when you wake up of a morning, chances are, before you do anything, before you leave the house, before you grab the Uber, before you go to work, before you go to the gym, before you go out and socialize, chances are, before you do anything, you get up and you look in a mirror, and that mirror is telling you, sometimes screaming something at you. And typically, it's kind of one of these, like, you've got to do something with you. Like before you leave the house, you've got to sort you out right now. I mean, you need a wash, you need a shower. Some of you need to sort your hair out, touchy subject, let's not go there. Some of you have got summer teeth and you need to give them a clean. You know, some are white, some are brown. You need to sort them out. Uh, Some of you, you look at yourself in the mirror and it's just like screaming at you, makeup, makeup, put the makeup on. And that's just the boys, right? I mean, it's like mirrors, they reveal something to us. You know what's so funny is... um, A few months back, I got a a new phone, and what's interesting is that it has this face recognition on it. So no longer can you put your finger or your thumbprint on the button, and it kind of reads, reads your fingerprint, or no longer can you punch the number in and kind of get access into your phone. Now, it does it on face recognition, but this is the absolute truth, right? Since I've had that phone for about three and a half months now, it has never, ever, not once, ever worked on my face first thing of the morning. Like I bring that thing up to my face and all it says is face unrecognized. And I'm like, are you serious? I mean, do I look that bad of a morning? But not once. And I'm there, I'm having to like, what is my passcode? And do the whole passcode thing. Because mirrors like iPhone face recognition technology, it tells you something about you. The mirror reminds you that before you leave the house, you've got to like do something with you. And James was saying in the same way that when you hear the word of God, it should do that too. That when you hear or read the word of God, it should be like a reflection mirroring to you what you need to do and what you need to sort out in your life. But if you choose not to do that and choose not to sort out what the scriptures would be revealing to you, it's as though you're walking away from the mirror without doing anything to your face at all. And then after a few minutes, you forget how bad you actually look without the makeup, without the clean teeth, without the hair being done and without 
the shower. Because a mirror, when you see something in a mirror, it makes you do something. I mean, think about this. Some of you spend a lot of time in a mirror, right? Some of you know exactly how long you spend in the mirror because you're late for like uni, you're late for the business meetings, you're late to get your kids into nursery and chances are it's because you've spent that extra time in the mirror because you're like, there is no way I'm going anywhere looking like this. I am not leaving this house with my hair like this. In fact, some of you even go last minute like today's a hat day, a cap day, definitely. Let's not even do the hair. It's that bad. I'm not even going to fight with it because we all understand that, that mirrors require a response. But here's the thing, getting your hair right and getting your face to look right outwardly has far less to do with the direction and the quality of your life as getting your behaviours and your attitude right. It has far less to do with that. And yet look at how much time we spend on the outer appearance. Here's my proof that it can often not affect the quality of your life. When you think back right now, to those, that moment or those moments when you were doing what you now regret immensely, like when you were out with him doing that or you were out with her and you were at the place and you were drinking that and you were consuming that, honestly, when you look back at those moments and times and seasons in your life that you regret the most, I bet that you spent loads of time working on you, getting ready for what you now look back on and now regret. It's kind of like, you looked awesome, and that was part of the problem. You looked awesome, and he looked awesome as well. That caused the problem. And you see, working on the outside, the aesthetics of your life, it doesn't really affect the direction or the quality of your life in the way that changing behaviours and attitudes really does. No one gets credit for looking in the mirror and looking in the mirror alone. Like, you turn up for work, and your hair's all over the place and your makeup's not done and your eyelashes aren't done and your eyebrows aren't, you know, manicured or whatever it is that you young boys do. What is that about? Like, seriously? Like, you know, like, I'm not even gonna go there because I'm gonna get myself into trouble with like, my own kids, but I'm like, seriously? Like, why would you do that? I don't understand it. I don't get it. But, but no one's getting credit for just looking in the mirror. You know, you turn into work looking like a disheveled mess and you're like, yeah, boss, it's all right though. I looked in the mirror and he's like, but didn't you do something? Like, seriously, if you looked in the mirror, why didn't you do something about that? And you know, it's really hard for us as Christians and by the way, what I'm about to say, this is not having a go at anybody because I'm just the same as you. But what makes it really hard for us as Christians is sometimes we can think that we're doing way better in terms of our attitudes and our behaviours than we really are because of the way in which we are when we come to this thing called the church. Now, let me say this. I am really grateful I am really appreciative sometimes when I can be doing the talk up here, which by the way, in an auditorium as big as this, it can feel like the world's most loneliest place, right? I can't even see all of you and where everybody is in this auditorium. But when you speak back and sometimes you're like, yeah, that's good. Or some of you old school Christians are like, amen, amen, brother, glory. You know, some of you are kind of like, yeah, okay, that's good. Or you're right in a way and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. It's really encouraging for me. It's 
massively encouraging for me. But the problem that that creates for you is that the more you amen and shout yes and shout that's good or that's great, it can make you think that because you're acknowledging what you're hearing that that equals doing and it does not at all. Just because you shout amen, it doesn't mean or equal you doing anything constructively well with regards to your behaviours and attitudes at all. It just means that you're merely saying amen and yes. And like I say, I'm grateful for those of you that do that. It encourages me, but I'm just saying, when you're there and you go, mmm, that's good, Matt. Oh, that's deep. Or you're like, oh, feel the fire. And you're just kind of like, yeah, look, I promise you, that's kind of great for me, but I just want it to be as good and as worthwhile for you as it is for me, because I don't want you to think that by acknowledging what you've heard, it equals any amount of doing. That's what James is saying. If you just do that, you're just deceiving yourself. You're kidding yourself. You think you're doing way better than you really are. So what does James practically have to say and teach us then? Verse 25, but. So now he introduces us to the habit that will help us all transition from where we are now to where we're going next. Now he reveals to us the key, he says, but whoever looks intently, that word it means to gaze, to figure out, to stare, to get down on one knee and look at closely, intimately, and try and figure this thing out. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law, So now he's talking about God's word. He's talking about the scriptures, but very specifically into God's perfect law. Whoever builds this habit of getting down on one knee and staring and gazing at God's perfect law, which in and of itself is not always the easiest thing for us to understand because there are 631 laws in Jewish culture and history. But at one point, and everybody listening to this would have been aware of this, Jesus was asked the question like, what's the greatest command? And Jesus responded in a way that they would all have acknowledged and agreed with. And he said, well, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And they were like, yeah, that's awesome, that makes sense. But then he goes on to say, as well as loving your neighbor as yourself. And at that point, they're kind of like, so is that 632 now? Is that an extra law? Is that how this is gonna work? And Jesus was like, no, no, I'm taking all of your 631 rules and regulations and laws, and I'm just bringing it down into this statement, like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But now, when James is having this conversation, He was aware that on the last night that Jesus was with his disciples, when he started to speak along the same topic of conversation again, that Jesus basically made this statement, from now on, think about looking intently at the perfect law that James encourages to do. Let's look at what Jesus said to his disciples, from now on, love one another in a way that I love you. And now everyone was like, so is this now 633 or is this now three rules instead of two? And Jesus was like, no, no, this is it. Love one another in the way that I love you. So when James is talking, he's saying, you've got to gaze and stare and figure out how you do this more than any other thing when you're moving from where you are now to where you're going next. How can you 
love those around you in the way that God loves you. And the next statement he makes is just incredible. He goes, because this gives freedom. He's like, look, you think that when you're moving from where you are now to where you're going next, you think that you've got to put all of your thinking and all of your energy into working out the job and working out the relationship and working out the finance and working out the education and working out the place and looking at the location. And James was like, no, 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 no. Like, if you want this to work out for you, then you've got to start to look at that which brings freedom, which is staring intently at the one thing that really counts which is making sure that you love one another in the same way that God loves you. But then James goes on, James 1.25, he says this, and it would be so easy if it ended there, but he makes this statement. It's not only doing it once, because he says, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. In other words, like, yeah, it just doesn't count if you just turn up once and hear a thing and then do it once. It's like, no, no, that's not how it is. He was saying, if you want to build effective change in your life, if you wanna get better at the transitional periods and seasons in your life, it starts by not only being a hearer of the Word or a reader of the Word, but doing it and doing it continually. And as you do that, you will be blessed. And that word blessing, it means something so, something that can be so easily lost to us. Because he's not talking about what you're going into being blessed, he's talking about you being blessed. He's not saying that if your transitional season is going into a new job or a new relationship or a new marriage, he's not saying that that's going to be great. He was saying, no, no, no. The blessing that God will give on your life is not on the perimeter things of your life. It's on you in your life. What we think is, God, I'm starting a new career. Can you bless it? God, I'm starting a new relationship. Can you bless it? God, I'm starting a new thing. Can you bless it? And James was like, no, it's way better than doing that. If you do these things continuously, then God will bless you in whatever you're changing towards, in whatever you're transitioning to next. God will bless you. He's saying you've got to build and create a habit of doing. And as you do, it will make you happier, successful, less stressed, less anxious, because you will be blessed. Church, let's stand to our feet. We're going to pray.